Do we have a name yet for this thing? <laughs> yeah, I know. I have like slapping backboard. <laughs> slapping glass. <laughs> slapping glass. That's kind of funny. I like that. <laughs> Let's roll <laughs> Slapping glass. That's good. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Slap and Glass podcast, where we explore the best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today's guest is head coach Scott Waterman from NCAA Division II Academy of Art in San Francisco, California. Today we're going to go behind the scenes and talk about Coach Waterman's first year as a head coach. Highlights include talking about his first weeks on the job, developing an offensive and defensive philosophy, hiring a staff, working with administrators, and so much more. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the Slapping Glass podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google, and follow us on Twitter and YouTube for daily in-depth coaching breakdowns. Thanks for following along, and please enjoy our conversation with Scott Waterman. Coach Waterman, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Hey, Dan, Pat, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on, and you guys do great work and just want to help contribute to, to what you guys do. So thank you guys for helping uh, grow the game. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate thank it. Glad to have you here. Yeah. Now, um, Scott, obviously you and I have known each other uh, from your years coaching the Skyac and then, and then from beyond, you and – Pat go way back, went to the same high school. You coached yeah. Pat, like we were talking about um, right before we started. Was it freshman yeah, Pat, year? Pat, Pat was a great freshman basketball player. There was a reason yeah. why you got, why he went and played overseas. There was a reason why we got a lot of sets for him. Yeah. And let me tell you, good players make great coaches. So that helped. Uh, appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. So we got a lot of uh, good El Toro love. Um, here on the podcast today so uh we're, we're excited to talk to you so much about your first year coaching experience um mm -hmm. as a head coach uh, yeah you've done a lot of great podcasts about your history of uh, mm -hmm. coming up through coaching which we're not going to get too much into in this podcast people can go find them um on some of the other ones that you've been on but mm -hmm. long story short you've been in the business for a long time um, yeah and this year was your first year officially taking over as the head coach at Academy of Art. And so we want to focus on the first year experience that you had and uh, and really dig into the nuts and bolts and the ups and downs and all the good and bad that came with it. Uh, overall, you know, from the outside looking in, you had a very successful first season taking over. You guys went to the tournament. Um, you won seven out of your last ten. You have a great incoming recruiting class. You got a lot of stuff going for you. And so congratulations mm -hmm. on Thank that. Thank you. Thank you. So to, to kick us off here, I want, if you could, to take us back and uh -huh. maybe go through the first moments or so um, when you first learned that you were taking over at Academy of Art, your first head coaching job. Um, what was going through your head and then what were your first steps after that yeah. call of what you were thinking you were going to do next. That's funny. It's funny that you asked that because I think, you know, a lot of people have stories like this of when they got the call and I was coming back from the Bahamas and I was supposed to have found out while I was in the Bahamas. So I had my phone on 
um, you know, the whole time my international roaming charges was off the charts and I never heard anything. And uh, it was, we got back to the Miami airport and we were literally about to board the flight. And Brad Jones, our athletic director, called me and said, I got the job. And I was in the middle of the Miami international terminal about to fly back to uh, uh, San Francisco at the time. And that's when I found out and I had a six hour plane ride where my head literally spun the entire time of what the next steps were, what I was going to go through, where I needed what I needed to do. And um, I still have the list of, of things. I kept it because it's pretty, uh, it's pretty funny as you look back, but the, you know, first thing that kind of went through my mind was, uh, you know, obviously I'd been preparing for the interview and I knew the roster and it was immediately, what do I need to recruit? Um, I had been at Dominican, a school in our league beforehand. So I was kind of thumbing, thumbing through those recruits, seeing, um, you know, who was still available, um, going through some recruiting lists. And then it was, you know, things that I had to do immediately when I met with the team. There's, a, there's like four or five lists on this page. And it was what I wanted to talk about with when I met with the team. And then there was another list of potential assistant coaches that, um, and, and the funny thing is, as I was going through the process, people already start reaching out to you as, you know, it spins on hoop dirt or on Twitter that you were in, kind of involved in the job. So uh, there were a lot of people and I started kind of mulling those names through my head of what I wanted to hire and what would be a good fit. And then, uh, you know, how I wanted to start coaching. And I went through offensively and defensively and just had a list of all these things that, you know, I had to be, uh, you know, versed on and the terminology we're going to use. And um, it was really overwhelming as you, as you sit there and, you know, you think about, you know, like drills that we as coaches do. And now all of a sudden you're put in charge of how you want to phrase things and how you want to run the drill and what concepts you want to do, or are you going to ice ball screens on the wing? Are we going to hedge? And you come up with a list of, a hundred different things, just defensively and then offensively of concepts, drills, terminology. And that was kind of a six hour plane ride of lists and things like that. And when I got off the plane, I think my head was spinning and I was incredibly excited, but just knew that, you know, it was going to be a, it was going to be a process. Coach. So you talk about all the things that, yeah, like you said, that you want to do with recruiting and your offense and how you want to play defense. Was there anything with the, in the interview process, talking with the AD, that there was any sort of directive they were giving you what they also envisioned for the team, whether it be we want to be more consistent in making conference tournaments or is it just we need to get the GPA of the team up or is there any sort of directive that they were also giving you when you were, or were they going to give you complete freedom? They just were looking for, I mean, obviously winning is yeah. obviously all the, every time. Yeah. Uh, um, but anything else? Yeah. So I think one of the big things was uh, consistency and winning. Um, so the school has had basketball for 12 years and the year or right before I got the job was the first time the school had ever made the NCAA tournament or excuse me, the conference tournament. They've never made an NCAA tournament. And they were looking for someone who could, you know, consistently make the conference tournament and make that next step into competing for NCAA tournaments, winning the conference, because we have some very great resources and they were never truly successfully used. And mm -hmm. um, for what we had, we sh the program should have been better ahead of time and not to 
disparage my the, the previous coach by any means because I thought he did a good job. Um, but on the same token, it was time to take the program to the next level, and that's that's something that you know I was kind of given the the reins to do. So the fact that we made the conference tournament in our first year was, was a positive step towards that. Oh. Scott, you you mentioned a huge list of stuff that you wrote down when you're on the the flight back, um, and you know I was trying to kind of write down all the directions that you were thinking of going. But when you landed, what were the first one or two things that you actually had to do, maybe administratively, that uh-huh. maybe people don't realize that a head coach would have to take care of, uh, you know, outside of the X's and O's. But what were some things that were first or second on your list that you needed to get done right away when you got back? Well, I think, you know, like I said earlier, when I mentioned players, it was all about recruiting and starting to throw my name out there that I got in the job because again, it was still hadn't been, you know, publicized yet and trying to get on, get recruiting going. Um, that was uh, priority number one. Um, priority number two, like I said, was assistant coaches. And then I think the most important recruits though were the current returners to the program. So when I had the opportunity to finally meet them, it was about a week later when I got officially announced to them. Um, that was the most important thing is when I met them, I met them as a team. And then later that day, I met with them all individually. I should say over the next two days, met with them all individually and just got the opportunity to get to know them. And they were recruit priority number one, regardless if uh, I knew them or not. Those were the only guys remaining in the program. So I had to start to get to know them well and let them know me and open up and not, um, you know, just go out and just because I didn't recruit them or coach them previously, they weren't my guys, but they were my guys. So I wanted to treat them that way. Can we go back a little bit? You talked about hiring a staff. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things out there that I know you get emails all the time. I get emails at Chapman all the time of people looking to break in, to the business Mm -hmm. and how to get an assistant job and how to get onto a staff. Um, Mm -hmm. How did you go about uh, putting your staff together? Was Mm -hmm. it just through people you knew or you reaching out to coaches or you taking, you know, resumes? Like I'm sure you had hundreds of people trying to get onto your staff. And so what did that look like in hiring? Yeah. And it's an interesting process because as I was going through, you know, obviously, I would say to anybody who's an assistant coach and aspires to be a head coach, uh, you know, make sure you start having a list of guys that you would potentially want to hire that you feel would be good for when that moment comes because you don't want to be, you know, blindsided by, by all of a sudden you get a job and now you're overwhelmed and swamped. And, you know, I think the biggest misperception is, uh, and this happened to me, I'm not going to name, but a high major coach called me and said, Hey, I've got a great guy that would be really good for you, for you. And, and, um, you know, it's honored to have that, that coach call me, but on the same note, how do I know this guy? Is he going to fit well with me? And, and that was something that I was very conscientious of, that I was going to A, hire somebody that I knew, uh, someone that had proven to me something in the past, one way or the other. And most importantly, guys that in my research had done, um, uh, had done or been really player-oriented coaches. And... It's funny that uh, I had a list and, and there's a reason why I was, I'm glad I did because the first two guys actually ended up not taking the jobs for one reason or another. One got another head coaching job and uh, there were some other issues with the other one. So I ended up 
getting my next two guys. And they were the two guys that ended up ultimately being great fits. So um, it's just amazing how that stuff works. But I, I think sometimes you can easily get caught up in the process of, oh, Mike Krzyzewski's calling me about so-and-so. And, oh, I got to hire him just because Mike Krzyzewski hires is calling me. But sometimes that may not always be the best fit. And I really was conscientious of the fit because our school is unique with some of the facilities and the ways we can recruit. And I just wanted to make sure we had the right guys that could come in and, and help navigate through that process. And most importantly, we're going to be loyal to me in our program and uh, athletic department. Were you, sorry, one more follow-up on that. Yeah, no problem. Were you looking at first in hiring your two assistants, were you looking for specific skill sets for each one saying, okay, when I'm putting my staff together, I want one guy that's a more defensive-minded coach or more offensive X and O coach. You said that you wanted both of them to be, you know, great with the players. Mm -hmm. But in the other two, was there specific skill sets you're looking for or was it just finding guys that are great at kind of multiple things? Um, I wanted guys that could, that had been in positions that had been able to do it all, see it all. So, um, you know, guys that had been, you know, at the division two level, not necessarily, but these two guys had, um, and they've done equipment. They have coached on the offense, they've coached on the defense, they've recruited. So I wanted just versatile guys. And, and like I said, the player relationship aspect was huge. Um, but guys that had just been through it all. And I didn't want guys that, you know, it's, it's a division two program where you don't have equipment managers. We do the laundry. So doing all those type of things isn't above them by any means. So that was, that was really important as well. Yeah. Are, when looking for assistance, I mean, you say the right fit, are you, do you refer like that are on the same philosophical level with you as far as basketball X's and O's, or are you also looking for like some, maybe they have differing opinions or dissenting voices that you feel could also challenge your knowledge or how you approach the game that could ultimately lead to then, yeah, a, like development or breakthrough or something that you weren't seeing that they see that could help you? No, without question. I think personality, when I say fit for them would be personality with me, loyalty with me, those type of things. But I think that as a head coach, I learned and was pushed by my assistants a ton. And I think that's great. At the end of the day, sometimes I went with it, sometimes I didn't, but I loved having their ideas and, um, and helping broaden my knowledge. But sometimes as a head coach, you get stuck in this rut of mm -hmm. All right, we're doing this, this is the way we're going to do it. And it's easy to stay in it. And especially if you're not having success and you keep fighting it. And I think my assistants did a great job of, of making sure, you know, I saw the bigger picture at times and gave me great ideas, feedback, and we used it a ton. Um, no. Go ahead, Pat. You another one? No, no, no. Go ahead, Dan. I, going back to another item on your list that you talked about as far as putting things together was the X's and O's portion of it and your philosophy offensively and defensively. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I know you and I have talked about this too, when, um, you know, we put up stuff every day on slapping glass and not everything's going to work for everybody's teams. And, yeah. you know, there's a beautiful set that some team in Spain runs that just won't work at certain levels. Um, so how did you go about starting to chunk down your probably huge playbook of ideas into what you actually thought you wanted to do? Um, was there a process or was it just sort of a give and take looking at what your 
uh, roster was going to be as well? Um, it was it was a combination of both. I think um, I think there was some trial and error to it because um, there was we put some things in, and by about a week afterwards, we never ran it again. Um, and on the flip side, there was some stuff that we put in that was good, and we went with it and modified it and just kept tweaking it. Um, and I think that that was that, that was something that um, as a first year head coach, um, I went in with a mindset of what I wanted to do and didn't necessarily adjust to the players. And, and I'll be the first to admit, I made a million and one mistakes as a head coach this year as a little aside here um, on that. But I think that that's something that, especially as a first year head coach, the when I kind of let up the reins at the end of the year a little bit and got away from some of the things that we had been doing, our teams just started to feel more comfortable. And um, I think I fought it for a lot of, a lot of the uh, first half of the year, trying to get them to do things, do things that probably didn't fit necessarily our personnel great. And then as we modified it and I let them play a little bit more offensively, gave them a little bit more freedom, we started to have more success and they feel felt a little bit more comfortable. So, um, so I think it was a lot of trial and error, but on that same token, just tweaking versus, all right, we're going, we ran a ball screen motion and instead of just dumping it and going to dribble drive or flex or something like that, we just kept with it, with it and modifying it until we found exactly what, what worked. And, um, that was something that I was happy about is that I wasn't going to just dump something because I didn't see value in it. I saw value in this and we just kept tweaking it to find, make it, make it work. Coach, you also mentioned, I mean, going along with, you know, put it in your offense that of course, when you took over, you watched film from last season to learn about your guys. Mm -hmm. Did you at any point feel maybe, I mean, that you were going to take what they did successfully last year and kind of use it moving forward? Or did you feel just to be true to yourself, like we're coming in clean slate, I'm going to try to put in my offense, you know, run things my way. Mm -hmm. Did you ever have the idea of like, Oh, you know, this worked last year. Maybe it also get some buy-in from the guys. If we run some of the stuff they liked last year, mm -hmm. or what was your kind of thought process as you learned about the team? Yeah. And I think, again, this goes kind of back to my initial conversations with the players when we first met is they wanted to play a faster play pace, you know, previous, previous coaching staff, uh, you know, it's wanted to score in the sixties and, I wanted to score in the eighties. And I think the, the biggest problem was they were so used to that previous style that it took a while also for them to break. And it took a while in that transition as well. Again, probably while we had more success at the end of the year is we started just to get more comfortable with, with doing those things. Yeah. Um, kind of going off of that a little bit, and um, getting buy-in from your guys. Mm -hmm. How difficult or easy was it to get buy-in as a, a brand new coach? Um, you know, you're still young. It's not like you came from somewhere else or you've been coaching for 30 yeah. years and you immediately have that kind of buy-in. How did you mm -hmm. go about starting to do that? And I mean, maybe what were some things that you worked on to try to get the buy-in from the guys right away? Yeah, it was tough, real tough, especially when you've got, uh, I think we had, of the returners, all of them had been there. All of them were going to be either juniors or seniors coming back. So it wasn't like they were, you know, freshmen who still had some, you know, were molded 
uh, it could be more these guys had been there and it had a set way. So um, again, it was going back to that personal relationship, uh, doing film on the side with them, talking about, especially initially talking about what my expectations for them were going to be um, as players and how I saw them fitting in. Um, and the, this is, again, another thing is, you know, these, we had eight, eight guys and I brought in eight guys and you kind of get stuck is the, the guys that were returning, see the incoming guys who are quote unquote, your guys, even though they're really not, everybody is, but they kind of, there was kind of a, you know, a butting of heads initially and you have to get through that. And, uh, the team chemistry aspect, uh, is really important again, as a first year head coach, something that I learned the hard way because, uh, I did it initially at the beginning, we did a good job. And then about four or five games into the season, when we started losing, uh, as my assistants really pointed out, our team chemistry is awful. Our guys are struggling, uh, you know, on the court and there just wasn't a vibe and it was because of team chemistry. And I had been so focused on, we got to teach this, we got to teach this, we got to put these things in. And it became so basketball centric, especially, you know, once you get in November and you see, you know, games on the games there and it's all become kind of my mindset changed away from that team oriented concept and more into win, 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 or how are we going to win? And, and I failed our team in that regard. Um, and about, it was actually after we lost to Chico on uh, the day before Thanksgiving, um, the Chico coach texted me after the game and Chico was really good. And it was a tough loss. We were right there. We could have beat him. And he texted me that night. He's a good friend, coach Clint. And he said, Hey, you've got a lot of talent, but you have to build chemistry. You have to build culture. And I could just practice. We changed, we called, we started having what I called the brotherhood challenge. And it's something I got from Dartmouth. And before we practiced, we did goofy hoax, hoaxy things, but it was all about building team chemistry. I made, I, we, we had another thing I did. We had lunch buddies where I'd partner guys up that weren't necessarily good and didn't really know each other or, you know, one would have been a new guy, one was an old guy, and I made them go to lunch and have to send our staff a selfie of themselves at lunch together and they had a talk. And it was those kind of things that started turning things around for us. And then as we got into January and we started to have more success, I think a lot of it came from, from, from doing those type of things. Yeah. Kind of piggybacking off of this point i mean like you said as you, you learned so much as your first your coach and that the value of chemistry and culture i mean what were some of the your other things that really looking back on that year stood out like yeah i mean if you had known this from day one it would have really helped or what were some of your, your big learning curves yeah uh, as a first year coach uh one thing that really stood out to me and it's funny is like i talk about you have all these things going through your mind and I would never say I like second guess myself, uh, but you have to be confident in your basketball abilities. You've, I've coached a long time. I've been around a lot of things. And about the first three or four days of practice, I was just, I was there, but it was just kind of like, I don't want to say nervous, but there was just something inside of me. And it was finally like, no, you know how to do this. You know how to coach. You're prepared for it. Just go do it. So that was a really huge thing for me is just getting through that initial, like, I would like kind of nervous energy, I guess you could say out, I guess. Um, but just getting through that. Um, I think the second thing is, is how to coach in a game. I think we all as assistant coaches, you know, you can sit there and break down and do it. 
uh, you know, in your mind. But then you actually get up there and, and when are you going to call a timeout? When are you going to let your guys play? How do you handle, you know, or when you walk into a, a tuddle, are you going to be positive or do you have to light them up and get into them? And it's all those things. And, uh, and it was a mixed bag. You know, sometimes I was right on and I did it. And sometimes I failed and I would go back and film and go, why, why did I do that? Or why did I make that sub? And, uh, it was all a growth. It's a huge growth curve in, in I think every single way. And I couldn't be more, I think the bummer, the bummer thing of this whole pandemic was we didn't get to go jump right back in and be able to start doing it. But on the same token, I was able to go back through and I watched all of our games again, a lot of our practices and see how I could be better as a coach and really break down things that uh, I can do better to help our team in the future. So um, the growth curve is, is tremendous, is tremendous. And um, I don't think it would, I think your, your two will be just like that too. I mean, hopefully a lot of growth in some of those areas, but then you start to continue to grow in different areas. So uh, that's a great question. I think that you can't be closed minded to, to how you do things and you have to constantly uh, reevaluate and focus. And I know I talk with Dan about this often, you know, he'll say, Oh, you ran a great set. And I tend to be pessimistic about things because I'm looking at it from just a whole different perspective of how I see how it should look. And, um, but that's why I said going back through, uh, in this off season has been really good for me to really, uh, focus on, um, on, on how, how we're going to go forward in this program. Yeah. Um, getting a little bit more detailed or, I mean, as a first-year head coach, can you explain the difference? Let's say you're a first-year head coach for the first 38 minutes of the game, but then how is it being a first-year head coach in the last two minutes of the game when it's close? And is there anything that I mean? Is it really just trial by fire? Like you said, the best way to learn. But you know, you have in your head like you know, if it's this situation, I'm always going to foul, or you know, I want to call the timeout to set up my defense, or I want to call timeout to set up my offense. Mm-hmm. And then now you're in these last two minutes. Yeah is it completely different is like, just throw the playbook out. Like you got to go with your gut. Like how can you speak on that? Like yeah, being no, a first year head coach in crunch time. That's great. And, uh, uh, I think one of the things that really prepared me for that is that most days at the end of practice, we did some sort of situation. Um, and I think the hardest thing, and I learned this, I don't know, somewhere along my way is, at the end of a game, do things that your guys are familiar with. Don't try to come out and drop a new play that they've never seen before because it's only going to lead to disaster. So we had prepared for a, a, a lot of things um, at the end of games and uh, practiced them. And in our walkthroughs, you know, we'd run our certain plays every walkthrough. That would be our, you know, home run hitter at the end of a game or last second plays. So I always felt prepared for that. Um, and I know like the Concordia Irvine game, we came down in you know, the last two minutes was really tight and we, uh, we fell. There was like three straight possessions where we were up three, I think, or four. And we fouled on like three times in a row to make them make free throws and then get the ball back. And they fouled us. And then we would foul again. Um, and, and it was something that we'd worked on. So our guys felt really comfortable doing it. And I think that just being prepared for it was, was the biggest thing. And, um, you know, I think sometimes as an assistant coach, you sit there and you're nervous and you're just trying to, you know, see what happens. But I, it was kind of the opposite for me. I felt really prepared and confident when we got into those situations. How about pregame stress? 
as an assistant and then a head coach. Did it change? Were you the same or uh, what was that like? Uh, let's just say so. Our, in our, especially in our home gym, we have like this hallway that's outside of our locker room that's probably 20 feet, I would say, 25 feet that kind of leads out to the court. I would get miles and walking back and forth on that thing before the game. Uh, my assistants were out on the court and um, like me, like I would have, oh, our guys look great. And I'd been pacing for about 25 minutes back there. So um, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it was a, uh, it was a tough, those were like a tough moment, but once you got out there, you kind of forgot it all. I think it's just the buildup of finally being able to go do it versus I'm nervous about the game and how it's going to come out. It was yeah. just, let's get this going, you know, for sure. And I, and I uh, did look at my, a lot of reading of my play card for, for 20 minutes as I paced. Yep. That's great. Coach, jumping sort of out of the game and the tactics, um, as a head coach compared to an assistant, how did your, let's say, your personality or your relationship with the guys change? I mean, obviously, you're going to be making the tough decisions yeah. with who gets to play, who doesn't. Uh, um, yeah, what kind of were your, your notions going in to the job of how you, what you felt or how you would be compared yeah. to what was – by the end of the season, how you, what ended up happening or playing out. Yeah. And I think I had a great relationship with the guys on our team, but it's definitely a different relationship when you're the head coach versus an assistant coach. Um, and I think one of the great things about the guys I hired as assistant coaches is that they're a lot younger than me and they can relate to those guys on a different level. I'm not playing, you know, video games with them. I'm not as hip to the music as they are on all those things, shoes, uh, the, watching the NBA, all the stuff that our guys do or my assistants really thrive with the team on. You know, I have, like I said, I have good relationships. I, you know, spend a lot of time with them, but it's a different level. Um, so I think that that was really important. And, but I think the big, uh, another thing that's really different was when, you know, some days, you know, you were taking vans to games or, uh, you know, we have to commute to practice our practice facility is about two miles from our main campus. And most of the time we take, you know, a bus or a, a, on the days we take vans and you get in the van and no one gets in next to you and it's you and like one walk on, you know, that it's a different relationship. So um, I think that, you know, again, it, it was helpful to hire great assistants who could relate with them on another level, but there is definitely a hierarchy of who the guys want to be around if they have a choice. <laughs> yeah. I remember those van rides as well. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We were, we were in the assistant coach van. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, sort of the, the, the unsexy part of being a head coach is the administrative mm -hmm. and budgeting and financial part of running a program. Mm -hmm. um, could you shed light a little bit on becoming the head coach and taking over those responsibilities and kind of what that looks like maybe from a bird's eye view um, of taking over and all that? Yeah, um, there's definitely a high level of accountability that, you know, the, an athletic director is going to hold the head coach to that's excuse me, non-basketball, non-on-court related, be it, uh, you know, managing the budget, um, you know, being engaged with some alumni, um, meetings, um, head coaches meetings, staff meetings uh, for the department. Um, so there's a lot of different things that, you know, as a, you think as a head coach, it's basketball, basketball, basketball. But on the flip side, there's um, 
at, at this level, probably not as much as if you were go to a, you know, a higher level per se division one, but the, the basketball time, you have to manage your time well, because, you know, you may have a budget meeting, you may have to, uh, call some alumni, you may have to, um, you know, meet with a sports information director or meet with the academic person about, uh, you know, how your guys are doing. So there's different levels of, of things. And um, especially at this level, uh, the division two level, where you're not just surrounded with a staff of six, seven guys, um, that you're really engaged in other things. And you're not just fully focused on basketball, which I think is a, is good as well, because you have a really good feel for what's going on in your program. And you, you know, if guys aren't doing well in class, you can handle it where you are with the budget and how we need to handle a recruiting trip. Are we going to be able to do it or, you know, those type of things. So I, on the flip side, I thought it was really good for me, but there is a, a strong organizational component and accountability uh, to the department that you have to do really well. One of the, the things I know from knowing you personally that you're really good at is um, you're just a, you're a great networker in the, uh, the the truest sense of like you, you're just involved with other people as far as you're reaching out all the time seeing how they're doing um, you have a, a lot of respect amongst coaches the whole college basketball landscape um, can you maybe talk about the value of networking and, and not maybe how you go about it but how it's helped your career and how you can see it continuing to help you as you move from a first year to second and third year um, mm-hmm. coach at the collegiate level yeah um there obviously well first of all thank you for saying that i appreciate it and um glad that you know people think of me in that in that manner um but i think that that networking was really important to me uh for several reasons a i, I know we've talked about this before um it's helping helped me get every job i've had um it's never really been about you know being john wooden of basketball it's been about knowing people and just yeah, doing my job where I currently was well and having a good network of people to help me get to that next step. So uh, number one there. Um, number two, network became really important when I got the job because I was able to reach out and pick a lot of my you know colleagues' brains on things that have been head coaches um, in the past or uh, you know been at different levels and, and just get feels for different things. And not to say anybody's I, I took you know, more than anybody else, but, uh, it was really good. I, one, one of my colleagues I called, um, had been a head coach and now it's a division one assistant coach. And some of the stuff he gave me was great. Like I ran with it, but that he gave me, and it, it's really important, you know, in, in the industry where so many people, uh, you know, been in your chair and had success, had failure that you're able to pick their minds and, and be able to, you know, know that you're not in this alone. Um, and then going forward in my career, I think my network's really important. As I tell my assistants, um, I want to help them, you know, get to the next level, get to where they aspire to. Um, you know, I'm very content and happy where I am. I have, you know, continue my relationships, but I'm not, you know, using this as a platform to get any other job, but I want to help my assistants get where they want to go and help them become better coaches. So, one day they can aspire to be head coaches or whatever they want to do. And I'm just glad that I've surrounded myself with a great network of people who I can reach out to, to help them. And, you know, when you get into a bind, it's always great to hear someone who's been in that situation and how they've gotten out of it, especially as a first year coach. 
So uh, a lot of levels to that answer there for you. Yeah. Um, I had a quick follow-up, Pat. I can't. No, go ahead. I You're going down. Okay. <laughs> so one of the things I've, um, I'm super interested in, and I had the opportunity to be head coach for a couple of years at the high school level before coming back and being assistant at the college level and kind of reflecting back on my years as a high school head coach um, was when you move from an assistant to a head coach is this crunch on your time and you have to make so many decisions and you have to like chunk things down and can't get lost in la la land and you know scrolling through slapping glass twitter all night um, for plays right you got to make decisions and start moving forward Um, can you talk a little bit about that like it's almost like you have to get better at saying no to things and really focusing in on what's truly important. And mm-hmm. have you gotten better at that um, over the past year and a half, moving from an assistant coach to a head coach where everything is on your shoulders all the time? Yeah, I, I would say I definitely have. I thought I was pretty good before, but it's just another level when you move over. And I like to tell people you move over six inches, but you move over light years because just the the demands and the energy that goes into it, you know, not to say that I didn't think about coaching all the time when I was assistant, but it's just magnified to another level uh, now in my current position. Um, so there, there's definitely a truth to that. And I think the biggest area that, uh, that I would really relate to is with watching film. Um, like I was always prepared when I did scouts before, but now as a head coach, I, just, I watched even more, especially of ourselves, our games, practices, and again, not to say that I didn't do it before, but it's just a whole nother, another level of breaking it down and watching it and rewatching it and finding out what you need to get better at. Because at the end of the day, the practice plan, you're creating it or you're getting some feedback from your assistants, but you're creating it. So you got to know what you need to work on. If you just keep going through the same motions every day, you know, you, how much success will you really have? I mean, if you have great players, it's one thing, but you have to continue to build and, and, and put things together and solve the problems. Um, it's like a dam and sometimes the, the holes on one side and then you got to plug that one and go to another one and just keep finding those holes and, and finding it all the way through. So you have to be much more in tune and detail oriented, um, than you were before. Coach moving in as you're approaching your first preseason as a head coach, what are the things, I mean, what is your philosophy or what are the things you're approaching? Is it, you know, the first two weeks we're putting in the defense or I want to put in the offense for a week and then we're moving to defense. So the guys have someone to run. Mm-hmm. And then did you find yourself crap? It's been three weeks. We haven't done anything on zone. I got to get zone in or how are you like Dan said, compartmentalizing when there's so much you've got to put in Yeah, and it's your first year, never been through a preseason that of your own doing. Yeah. What, what, what are you learning? What are you, yeah. How are you, Devote, devoting your time. Yeah. And I think as, as a first year head coach, if I could go do it all over again, that would be something that I would really, uh, really change because, you know, at the beginning, you know, you kind of come up with a, your practice plan, you know, half offense, half defense, and you're just trying to throw everything in all at the same time. And if I were to go do it over again, we would put much more of an emphasis on the defense, especially early and really get that down. Um, and, and give our guys, and this is where I've, I think I struggled, was I wanted to keep putting in our like ball screen offense and getting that good. And then I would let our defense get away. And I kind of, kind of around that same time where our chemistry issues, you know, started to be addressed, we also really started to focus more on defense and practice. 
and we got better at that. And yes, our offense waned, um, but on the flip side, it did help us in the end. So um, there, there's a lot to it, and it is a tough balance in trying to, you know, individual improvement, defense, offense, and trying to get it all into two hours, two hours and 15 minutes. And you have to really go in and what is the most important thing to you? And uh, it can't be 10 things. It's really got to be one thing. And even if it means, you know, sacrificing something else, if this one thing is how you're going to judge your program and judge your team on, you have to ride with that as the one emphasis. And then you can always catch up, uh, catch up on the back end. But if it's going to be that important to you, you really got to make that a staple and set the tone with that until you can, uh, um, until it's good where you want it to be and then take those next steps. And, and like I said, going back, that was one thing that I got away from was, God, our offense isn't great. We got to keep working on it, keep working on it. And when we really should have been focusing more on de- our defense and instead of just, you know, the 30 or 45 minutes we were putting into it. Yeah. Did you, Fine too, as the season went along, then your practice plans, would you then like, okay, today we, we're just going to focus on on-ball defense and, you know, maybe then you delegate your assistance, you watch the offense, but what our focus is, is getting better on this one or this, maybe two things in this practice. And then, yeah, just kind of, like you said, letting the other things go for right now, because you can't coach everything in the two hours you have. Yeah. Did you find you improved in that or was that important or were you still able to do multiple things, accomplish multiple things within a practice? Yeah, I think that we would, how we would do it was I would make sure that in certain drills, this is what we had to accomplish, these two or three things, and then kind of take a broader overview as we got into more of the live stuff, um, five on five stuff. We do almost everything live in our practice, but in like, I would make sure in these certain drills, we have to get out of this, whatever it is, ball screen, yeah. let's say. Um, and we'd really emphasize it and we wouldn't move on until we got it to where I wanted it to be and be willing to sacrifice some of the things on the backside um, for whatever we were working on that day. As a head coach and at halftime or after a game, what are the main stats you're looking at to determine, you know, maybe that, you know, is it, you always look at rebounds, you always look at assists, you always are looking at turnovers or what are kind of the, the things on the scout sheet that you're emphasizing or sticking out to you to, yeah, no, it's a great question. And for everybody, it's different. Um, I'm not a big, uh, you know, some guys will be a little bit more analytical based using some analytic stuff. The big things I will look at is turnovers, rebounds that are actually on the stat sheet. And then mm-hmm. the thing that we actually tracked um, that was our goal every game was what we call the kill, which was three stops in a row. And we our goal was to get seven kills in a game. And I will tell you that in – the 12 wins we got in 11 of them, we got seven kills. So that was something that we really prided ourselves on. And I knew it, it was great. We got to a point maybe after about the second or third game, we did it. If we got to two stops in a row, like you could hear the whole bench yelling, get the kill, get the kill. And that, that was great that we got that mentality and we spent, uh, you know, every day in practice, but what we did was to emphasize that, uh, we, we would go, you know, shell drill, be at four on four, five on five. And we'd say, you have either three minutes or you get three kills, whatever one comes. So if you don't get three kills in three minutes or get a kill 
in three minutes yeah. and you're out and you run. Um, but if you get it, you don't have to run. And then the next team comes in. So that was something that we really emphasized. So at halftime, we always ideally wanted to have three or four kills. And if we had one or two, we weren't going to be in a, in a good predicament, most likely. I, re- I really like that. Conversely, did you have your assistants track if they were getting kills against you that maybe you should take a timeout here, coach, they would say, or was there anything they were tracking to maybe, uh, like you said, that we're not, our offense isn't healthy or our defense isn't healthy. We should maybe take a timeout here. No, we didn't, we didn't do anything like that. I think that's just more off feel and uh, feel in a game. I guess my sort of closing thought for you, Scott, is just your advice in closing for, assistance now that you've gone from being a, a assistant for so many years and now you're a head coach what advice can you give assistant coaches out there that are trying to you know one just be better assistant coaches to the head coach but then also try to um, work on their skills to become a head coach yeah. what advice would you give now that you're sitting in that seat that would really help you from your staff yeah i think first and foremost uh ask the head coach that you're working for your strengths, your weaknesses. Know what the, your current boss thinks about you. Secondly, be good at the job you're at. Don't be the guy who's looking three jobs down the line or for your next job when you're in your current job. If you're good at the job you're at, that's the most important thing, and that'll lead to success. Um, third, a lot of networking. Get to know people. Make it genuine. Don't, don't just uh, form a relationship with somebody for what they can offer you. Offer it because it's a genuine, authentic relationship. I think people can get caught up in, uh, oh, I know this guy, well, and he's going to help me. Well, that's not necessarily the case. So make sure it's a, a, you know, a, a transformational relationship where you guys both can learn and, and, and get to know each other and not just when you need something. Um, and, uh, you know, I, be prepared. It's the fourth thing. You know, I think, you know, as much as I was prepared to be a head coach, there were still some things that I wasn't quite prepared for. And be prepared for as much as you can. Have, you know, a list of assistants. Have things that you would do. And have it all in your mind already. Have, you know, I had a a book of things that kind of helped me through this process as I'd gone through taking notes about from previous staffs, um, uh, things I saw that I liked. And just have it all available for you and just gives you – gives you more, uh, you know, more, uh, you know, backup for when that opportunity does come because, you know, there's going to be an element of unprepared preparedness, but the more you can be prepared, just the better off you'll be. That's great advice. As we, as we close, where can people find you to follow you, to reach out, to follow your team um, yeah. as you guys are heading into this new season? Yeah. Um, you can uh, go to our website, um, I think it's artuathletics.edu. Um, and then uh, if you want to reach out to me, um, you know, my email is swaterman at academyart.edu, Academy Arts, one word. Um, on Twitter, at Coach Waterman. Um, shoot me a direct message. would love to talk to anybody. Um, help, any, help out in any way I can because I've been in, been in a, lot of, uh, a lot of people's footsteps in a lot of different positions and uh, we'll do whatever I can to help you out. That's for sure. Well, appreciate that. And hey, Scott, thanks so much again for coming on. And I mean, this is so much fun just to talk deep dive basketball. 
Without question. Yeah, thanks a lot, Coach. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. You guys are doing great work. And uh, I will say, back in 2006, when uh, I was at Long Beach State and we played you guys at Chapman, that was uh, that was a fun game for one of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm glad someone enjoyed it. Yeah, Pat was the leading scorer in that game for Chapman. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was very efficient. My <laughs> athleticism didn't shine in that game like I thought it would. No, but no, I appreciate you guys. Thank you guys for having me on. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe, and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass.